You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Matthew. Here's Nate. Well, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is outlining for us the behavior inside of his kingdom. And of course, all of this in these three chapters is afforded us because of the gospel. You know, Jesus shed his blood for us, died on the cross for us, and those who believe in him now enter into the kingdom of Christ. And so Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the manifesto of Christ's kingdom, the behavior of his children. And of course, as we saw in chapter 5, the first attribute is that of poverty of spirit. This leads a person to even receive the gospel in the first place, a true humbling of the human heart. But here in chapter 7, we begin to move into just the practices to a greater degree of those that are found within Christ's kingdom. And the first thing he begins with here, the first subject we'll tackle, is that of our attitude towards others inside of his kingdom. And he says in verse 1 and 2, he says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And the first thought that sort of strikes my heart, because I understand that this is a highly quoted section of Scripture, especially the first two words, judge not. When someone hears of someone else's sin, and maybe they feel like they're not worthy to weigh in on it or something like that, they say, well, I don't want to be the judge. And perhaps they'll say it in the sense of wanting to excuse someone's sin. Still others might say it from the standpoint of saying it as a simple precursor to then entering into judgment. Have you ever heard someone do this? Well, I don't want to be the judge. However, and what ends up coming out of their mouth over the next few minutes is just harsh ridicule and judgment over the subject at hand. But the thing that strikes my mind is the wonderful freedom that we have in Christ from the sometimes crippling feeling that I must sit in the seat of judgment toward others. No, the gospel has set me free from such a role. I am no longer operating as the judge of mankind. In fact, I never should have been operating as the judge of mankind. I can sit back and remove myself from that role and allow the Lord to be the ultimate judge. And so he says in verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged. Now, of course, one thing that we must remember and mention is that Jesus isn't telling us as his people that we are to be a people without discernment. You know, he's not saying, be not discerning that you be not discerned. No, that's not what he's saying at all. In fact, we'll see in verse 6 that he tells us not to give dogs what is holy and not to throw our pearls before pigs or swine. He'll tell us in verse 15 to beware of false prophets. Obviously, he's looking for his people to be a discerning people. But there's a difference between being a discerning person and being a judgmental person. You know, a judgmental person feels that 
they understand the motives of people around them. They know the why to the actions of those around them. They think that they know what others are thinking. They think they know the motives of others. But a discerning person is merely able to observe fruit around him and able to see what would be healthy and what would be unhealthy and where he should go and where he shouldn't go. He uses his discerning mind for good. But a judging person just sits back and ridicules, takes cheap shots, and sits in the seat of being the authority on others. And this kind of person is no fun at all, especially as found inside the kingdom of Christ. And I've found that many people love to take this position. And they call it discernment, but in fact, they're simply operating in the place of judge, thinking that they can judge the servants of the Lord better than the Lord himself. And so Jesus says, you know, judge not that you be not judged. You've got to be careful. He says, verse 2, the judgment you pronounce, with that judgment, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so you know, be careful. The measure you use, you're setting a standard for yourself that you might not be able to keep. So judging not. And I just encourage you being set free from that need to be so harsh when it comes to others. And being set free from that place in your heart where you feel like you need to weigh in on everyone around you. You need to have that perspective on others. And I found so often that kind of judgmental spirit just simply comes from an insecure heart. You know, someone who is trying to compensate for what they perceive to be some kind of lack in their own lives. He says in verse three, he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Now, this is a hilarious image. You're picturing now a man with a huge log protruding from one of their eyes and that person seeing one of their brothers with a speck or a splinter inside of their eye and they notice the splinter, but they don't notice the log coming out of their own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, verse four, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And so again, we're looking at behavior inside of his kingdom. And the best kind of behavior comes from those who are able to, with a, you know, a spirit-led self-introspection, are able to then correct the flaws in their own lives and heart before they attempt to help others. But after they deal with the stuff in their own life, they are then able, Jesus says, he says, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Some of the worst counselors inside of the church, some of the worst disciplers inside of the church are those who are unwilling to be counseled or discipled themselves, especially directly from God. But some of the best counsel and some of the best discipling ministry comes from those who are willing to go to God and 
allow his spirit to invade their heart and to hear about the errors and flaws and points of growth in their own lives. And so Jesus says it this way, you know, you've got to be able to pull the log out of your own eye. And at that moment, you'll be able to see clearly and you'll be able to minister to your brother. You'll be able to care for your family. And so he says, you know, you've got to see clearly in order to be able to remove the flaws in your own life. This reminds us, of course, of Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. The psalmist said, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me. One of the greatest spiritual disciplines that we can adopt is that of just allowing the Spirit of God time to speak into our lives. You know, for me this morning, I woke up and it was a little bit of a later morning for me. It's been a busy time and got to bed late with my wife. And so this morning slept in a little bit longer than I normally would and eventually got up, made a cup of coffee and wasted a little bit of time in those early morning minutes, but eventually sat down and cracked open my Bible and was just reading through. And I found myself this morning at various moments just closing my eyes and asking the Lord to speak to my heart, asking the Lord to correct areas of flaw, areas of error inside of my life. And slowly but surely, the Spirit of God began to speak to my heart, not in a condemning kind of way, but just in that clear, hope-filled conviction that only the Spirit of God can produce. And so the exercise of asking God to show us, you know, as the psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart. It helps us so much to be people who are, number one, not judgmental because we understand that we ourselves are flawed and imperfect people. But number two, it enables us to actually be able to benefit our brothers and sisters in Christ and help them with the specks and splinters in their own eyes, to borrow the analogy or illustration from Jesus. Now, we notice that he's telling us that we would do this for our brothers. This is a family thing. So, in verse 6, he moves away from the family when he says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Now, in that culture, the dogs were despised animals. In the culture I'm living in today, we love our pets. We love our dogs. But in that age, that's not what they were dealing with. And pigs, those were unclean animals. And so Jesus says, don't take your holy things and give them to dogs. Don't take your pearls and and give them to swine. They won't be able to appreciate what you're saying and what you're doing. And I think that what Jesus is doing is continuing this theme of family and how we interact with each other and how we speak into each other's lives. As the Proverbs tell us, you know, the, the wounds of a friend Although they hurt for a moment, the wounds of a friend are, are good wounds. You know, they, they correct us and help us and strengthen us. But in one sense, Jesus is saying here, I think, 
don't try this ministry to one another out there in the world. You know, don't expect them to receive those words of correction from you. I I find oftentimes that Christians will make these major campaigns and pushes to try to change the culture that we're living in by just giving them morality when really the gospel is what is needed first before these words of correction can enter in. Now in verse 7, Jesus moves on and he begins to address once again the prayer life of the people found within his kingdom. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. So he's encouraging this asking, seeking, knocking kind of relationship with God. That if you you ask, you receive, and if you seek, you find, and if you knock, it will be opened. And I've just found that God is, you know, as you read the word of God, it's obvious that God is looking for people who will cry out to him in prayer. This is obviously a great placement of this exhortation because, you know, as we consider the tightrope walk of wanting to be discerning people who are at the same time not judgmental and wanting to be able to minister to each other, we must be prayerful people. And so he's pointing out here that God loves it when men or women cry out to him and seek him. We are asking and seeking and knocking, literally. It's a continual action according to Christ. And so this continual action of dependence is what God is looking for. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God is looking for people who will pursue him, who desire him, who are going to be constant in crying out to God. And so a bold entry into God's presence, ask and seek and knock. And then he says in verse 9, he says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So he's talking, obviously, about prayer here. And he basically uses this little analogy again. It's very similar to what Jesus had just said to illustrate the judging principle. Here he uses another illustration to talk about prayer and dependence upon the Father. And he says, listen, you know, which one of you, if your son comes to you and asks you for bread, you'll give him a stone? Or which one of you, if your son comes and asks for a fish, you'll actually give him a serpent? And Jesus' whole point is, If you, evil people, I love how he says that. He says, if you then, who are evil? He just kind of throws that out there. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, if if even you can figure that out, then how much more will your father who is in heaven? You know, he's good. He's pure. He's not evil. How much more will he give good things to those who ask him? And so the ability of God to give good and perfect gifts to his children. 
You know, and of course, prayer in one sense should be the ultimate, the ultimate in trust. Where as you're crying out to God, there is this wonderful dependence upon the Lord, first of all, a faith that he is able. But then also just this willingness as you're praying to say, you know, Father, it's not as I will, but it's as you will that I want to live my life. The things that I'm asking and seeking and and knocking about, the, the way that I'm interceding, I am fully expecting and desiring that you would be the one to decide what is good for me and, and what is evil for me, what I can handle and what I cannot handle. You know, letting the Father be that one who directs your life. I can remember, you know, in my life just so many times asking the Lord to work in a particular area, feeling like I was bringing it to him over and over and over again, ask and seek and knock. And the Lord ultimately so often would answer my prayer in an entirely different way than I wanted him initially to answer that prayer. But his faithfulness was so strong in the sense that he would then do something entirely different, but sometimes immediately, but often years later, I would be able to look back and say, the Lord gave me the best gift. And I've found that there are plenty of times in my own life, at least, where the things I've been asking God to do, I was actually like a little child who thought I knew what was best, and I thought I knew what I really needed and wanted. But I'm so thankful that the Father has always given to me the fish and the bread and the good gifts. Just as Jesus said, your Father in heaven, he knows how to give good things to those who ask him. So just trusting in the sovereign hand of God as I cry out to the Lord. Now, when Jesus gave this teaching in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 11, And he talks about the asking of these things and asking and seeking and knocking. And he talks about the father giving good gifts. He says in Luke 11 verse 13, that so will your father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And so the best gift that the father gives is himself, his own spirit, the spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity residing within us helping us, strengthening us. And so the Father gives good things to those who ask him. Now, verse 12, Jesus goes on into really the kind of life that is so beautiful, but ought to be found again within his kingdom. He says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, I've read the law and the prophets, and I'm sure you have as well. I've read them many times. And I can tell you that uh, the law and the prophets contain many, many pages and thousands and thousands and thousands of words. But here, Jesus gives his brief summation of what obedience to the law and the prophets looks like. He says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. 
you know, such a wonderful standard of life, such a wonderful standard to hold over our lives. And I find that for myself, I break this standard so often. You know, so often I'll desire people to treat me in one way, but, but then I'll go on living my life treating others in an entirely different way, which is hypocrisy. And the Lord says, listen, if you really want to be a part of this kingdom, then do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Think about the way that you are treating those around you and bless them in that way. This is really, in one sense, the law of liberty, the law of love. And so Jesus says, this is the law and the prophets. Enter, verse 13, by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now these are ominous words from Jesus concerning actual entry into his kingdom. And he tells us, he says, listen, you know, the, you've got to enter by the narrow gate. It's not going to be the popular gate. It's not going to be the gate that is well-traveled. No, there's a wide gate and there's an easy way that lead to destruction. And many people, Jesus said, enter in to that gate. He says, verse 14, the gate that we're looking for, the narrow gate, it's narrow and the way is hard. The way is hard. It is not always easy to be a disciple of Christ. There are trials and difficulties. I still would not want the broad way to destruction, but this can be a difficult life. And Jesus said, and those who find it are few. So the way to destruction may be the easy path, but it is a life that is full of destruction. And, and for many people, this is why the gospel and Christianity are unappealing. You know, they don't want to live by a narrow standard and by a difficult path. They don't want to live by the dictates that Christ would establish for their lives. They want to be the Lord of their own lives. And so they choose to go through the wide gate and the easy way. Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now again, very similar to the previous teachings, the previous paragraphs. Jesus said, don't judge. And then he gave this illustration about a man with a beam in his eye. He says, ask and seek and knock. And he gives an illustration about a father uh, who hears his son asking for a fish or asking for bread and giving him good and perfect gifts. Here, he says, beware of false prophets. Have that discerning heart. Understand that they're going to come dressed in sheep's clothing. They're going to look as if they are godly and holy. They're going to sound as if they are spiritual people. However, he says, 
And then he uses this illustration. He says, you'll recognize them by their fruits. Are you going to get grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No, it's healthy trees that bear good fruit. It's diseased trees that bear bad fruit. And a healthy tree isn't going to give you that good fruit. And a diseased tree isn't going to give you that healthy fruit. No, it's the fruit betrays the root. And so he says, listen, if it's not good fruit, it will be cut down, thrown into the fire. You will recognize them by their fruits. And so the fruit of false teachers, just kind of the manner of life, it needs to be pointed out. And I've been shocked at how many times, I think an area that for me is so shocking, is when I see a a teacher of some kind peddling some type of religious wares who in his personal life, his personal life is so upside down, so chaotic, and so in so many ways damaged and wrecked by a life of sin. And things aren't improving. It's just the way it is. And there's no repentance over that. I'm not talking about that situation, but just a person who personally you would never want to be like. And how that person can say things that sound spiritual and and look as if they're a very spirit-led, spirit-fueled person. And yet the reality of their hearts is that they're a wolf in sheep's clothing, a false prophet. And yet people, because of that spiritual jargon, will follow them. Look at the fruit of their life and the fruit of that teaching. And then Jesus said, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So it's not just a profession of faith. We are looking for obedience to the Lord. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are people who never truly surrendered to the Lord, never truly repented of their sin. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Everyone, verse 24, then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus has given us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 a great standard and perspective for life. And to live by them is to build your life on a strong foundation. And to ignore them is to be a foolish person who builds your house on a weak foundation. Obedience to Christ, being devoted to Christ, and giving yourself to these disciplines is building your house on a strong foundation. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd was astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The scribes would continually quote others and borrow authority from others, but Jesus' authority had come from heaven, and the people were astonished. <music> 
God bless you, and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.